What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday. It's day two of WrestleMania later tonight. It is April 2nd, 2023. And here with me, Chris Gullo's off. He's, he's hosting a Wrestle, WrestleMania party somewhere. But here uh, with me, preparing to acknowledge his tribal chief later tonight, is Jesse Collins. Uh, yeah, Gullo is he's he was at the uh, did you catch him on the uh, the WrestleMania show? He was in at the wrestling uh, wrestling mania watch party in Germany. You could see him in the background. Was he? You know, I missed that. Making sure making sure everyone gets excited to pop when uh, they saw um, he's working the crowd. Yeah, people win. Yeah, I've seen him do that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they needed a professional, so they you know they paid big bucks to get him over there. Um, I'm doing well, Brandon. How are you? How is how is WrestleMania night one? It was good. I, I watched it. Did you? I, I you know I watched it. Did you watch and it live? I, thought, I watched it live, and I thought it was a pretty good show. I thought, um, you know, I, I said this on my podcast uh, when we kind of previewed it with Adam Berger. Um, this felt like the first WrestleMania in a long time that felt like WrestleMania in the sense it felt like they had a lot of different stories that they had built up. And they were going to culminate at WrestleMania. And so there was going to be like a, set, a payoff for a lot of these things. And with all of the matches on night one, I think for the most part, the right person won. And they gave the finish kind of the crowd wanted. So it felt like there was a real positive vibe, both with the kind of build that they had for these stories and how they ended up finishing off these stories. Um, and the last two matches were really good. I would, I wouldn't go as far to say like there are like any match of the year contenders on the show, but I thought those last two matches were really strong matches. Um, you're you're well, speaking, you know, of course, of of the the big tag title match and Pat McAfee versus the yeah. Miz. I kept saying that during my <laughs> review when I was talking to people. I was like, yeah, the last two matches were great, and it's like, whoa, oh, you thought Pat McAfee and the Miz were great? The last two advertised matches were great. Um, you know, and then outside, I thought the opening match was kind of bland, and I thought the women's six man tag wasn't, or six woman tag wasn't very good. But other than that, I thought all of the matches were at least good, and some of them were pretty good. Yeah. So, so I, I, the, I, I thought the, it was a good show. 
if you look at the cage match rating, it is at 8.87. Um, usually shows that are doing really well, they'll, they'll, they'll moderate a little bit as, as the additional votes come in as probably the more enthusiastic votes come in first. But this, I mean, that's, this is a really highly rated pay-per-view on certainly at least on W E scale. This, we, we'd have to go back to, you know, comparing this current rating, I mean, elimination chamber did an 8.1. So this is above that. It probably ends up above that. Um, when it settles down. Yeah. Like, I think I gave it, I think I gave it like a seven out of 10. My only, my only real issues with the, the show would be just like the pacing of the show, um, which was pretty bad, especially and I'm scrolling like, all the way back to 20, 2018 here. And I still do not find a, a WPLE that is higher than, than the, the current rating of this one. on yeah. Cage Match. And plus you have to think like, yeah, I think like clash of the castle, um, which I see now is an 8.24. I, I think that would probably be the last really great show that people would go back and would probably be somewhere in the ballpark. It's, you know, Elimination Chambers at 810. Um, WrestleMania last year, the first night, which I think people maybe forget was quite good um, yeah. and well-received. That's at 8.05. Um, you know, when I, right after the show, it was at like a 9.1 when like I think like the first 100 ratings came in because I checked. Oh, you're mod- and, mo- monitoring it, huh? I, I always look and just see what, yeah. you know, in, in the usually the extreme – come in early so everyone's like oh my god 10 out of 10 they run over to cage match and they type it in and then the 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 ladder you go on i i gave it a seven on cage match and i had to i had to give a comment on why Controversial i gave it a, opinion i why i gave it a seven because it's lower than the average so that's a, a fail safe that they have in there if you went on the reviews you could probably see my review on it um but uh NXT yeah no, stand I mean, deliver 7.7 which is better than the recent nxt Oh no! Not dead, deadlines at a seven point six nine. So yeah, that is but I mean, equal. that NXT. There's zero chance that NXT shows any good. Like I'm not, I'm not watching it. But I'm, I assume it's really bad because I just think that's an atrocious product of wrestling, and it's not for me. The fans that are watching NXT might have really liked it because they enjoy what that product is, but it's totally not for me. So I will not be confirming the seven point seven rating for NXT. I had some of it on on mute yesterday. I did see Carmelo Hayes win the NXT title from from Braun Breaker. Um. It looks that match looks good. I, that match got bad reviews. Like I think even it, if you go on the if you go on the cage match, like that has like the lowest rating. It's, people are really into the Gargano Waller match, and I think uh, the five way match. Okay, yeah, it is. Um, it is. Uh, Carmelo Hayes Braun Breakers at six point six four, and and the other matches those those two matches that you mentioned are above eight. Yeah, yeah, and the you know the at WrestleMania last night the the crowd was really into it you know they got a yeah. little tired at certain points which you can understand given the length of the show and the pacing of the show but the um the crowd for the show in theory match i thought was really hot i mean you people have, have different opinions about the match itself but the, the, the crowd was like really crowd, hot on heel heat for austin theory really hot on face a response for well as cena. well as john cena told us brandon just because we hear a loud booing during Austin Theory segment. Was that, was that fake good. crowd noise? Is that what you're John saying? Cena has told John Cena told us that that's not real noise. It so sounded, why would I believe it? It sounded real. It didn't sound like the usual <laughs> canned noise. I agree. I think that there is a lot of heat for like Theory's offense. I thought Theory did nothing in the match really. Like I thought he was like he's okay, but he was his offense was basic. He's just it was it was a uh someone someone described it to me as the first ever dark house show or the, the first ever dark house show main event to to ever be the opening match at wrestlemania because it was very much a by the numbers john cena's get someone's gonna get some heat on john cena he's gonna come back he's gonna hit his signature moves and then he's gonna get the uh 
the, he's going to go for the pinfall and he's going to lose. He's going to slip on the banana peel or the heels are going to cheat to win. Um, I thought the crowd was really into Cena. Like, I think they just wanted to see Cena come out, do his signature moves. Um, and, you know, they, they had Austin Theory go over, which in, in the long run is the right decision. I'm not bullish on, on Theory's, like, potential as a top, top star. Um, but outside of that match and the women's match, I think uh, the women's six uh, six person match, I thought every other match was above average. Um, you know, the Dominic Array match, I didn't think like had a lot to it from like a like in ring standpoint, but obviously had really good heat, and the fans were really into seeing Ray get his revenge and, and just be Dominic. And the video package and the entrances for that match were excellent. Um, but the 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 four way tag team match, I thought was a very good match. Um, Logan Paul versus Seth Rollins, I'm a little bit probably lower on than most people, but I thought was, again, a very entertaining match for what it was. Um, and the, uh, the last two matches, the, the Charlotte-Rhea match was way better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was really important because that match didn't have a great build, had kind of an awkward heel-babyface dynamic. And I think there was a lot of pressure on Charlotte to go out there and kind of show people why she's pushed as hard as she is which I think there's been some contempt for, for sure. And going out there and just having like a really excellent match was really important. And the main event I thought was, was, you know, I thought they tried very hard to have like an epic, incredible, can't believe everyone's kicking out match. And I don't think it quite hit that level, but the crowd was really into what they were giving them. And the finish was very satisfying. And uh, I heard Brian Alvarez say that when he was leaving the arena, everyone was still like happy and vibing, which is very different than previous WrestleManias where everyone like solemnly walks back to their car. So I guess that, you know, they gave the people what they want, which was, uh, I think important. And hopefully for WWE that continues on night two. And I, I, I guess I, I feel like it, it will be another strong show. It could be tonight. I expect Reigns and, and Cody could be a really dramatic Reigns match. I think um, it'll be similar to the the, the Codians in uh, uh, the Sammy and Kevin versus Usos match. I mean, the Usos yeah. basically used a, a, a Roman layout for their match, which is like, we're going to beat the crap out of Sammy for a long time. We're going to go really slow. We're going to talk during the match, and we're going to build it all up for Co- for this big cutback. And I think that will probably be a similar match. And I think the crowd will eat it up. And Bianca Belair versus Asuka could be good. And I expect Lesnar and almost to be short. You never know what you're going to get with with Edge Edge's latest epic, but uh, yeah, Edge and Balor to me is kind of like a wild card because there's a there's a, like I, I'm probably not going to like that match just because the way it's structured. I'm, I'm probably not going to enjoy it, but I think it can go one or two ways in the crowd. It can be like this awesome match that the crowd is eating up, or it can go like really long and be really melodramatic uh, and kind of sucks the wind out of the match. Um, but yeah, I think. I think uh, night two, sh- it should be, it could be as good as night one. I guess it could be better in a, in a way, um, but it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it's going to be necessarily it's, worse. Is Cody going over. Cody going over tonight. I think Cody does go over. If I had a bet on it, I do think that it's possible that Roman Reigns wins, which is is good in the sense of um, like for dramatic purposes. It means like those near falls and stuff like that. People are going to be into. I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people thought Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens were going to. Uh, lose and that kind of ha- factored in like I think the Usos hit their finisher and they went for a three count at one point and the crowd just didn't even react at all to Sammy's kicking out because I think they knew I think there's a little bit more skepticism uh, for the Roman Reigns Cody match which should make it maybe more exciting in the building yeah okay 
We'll talk about the business of WrestleMania now. Um, if you want to put in a super chat, we'd be glad to have uh, your comment or question, and we will respond on, on the air. Um, let's talk about attendance first, um, because now we have not only the the WrestleMania attendance, but also we have the SmackDown. Uh, but so WrestleMania uh, night one, the most recent count on, on night one, if I look at my, my other spreadsheet here that I have open, uh, I don't know that, that WrestleTick has put out a final count for night one, but the latest count uh, is, you think I have this ready, is 67,282. Night one and night two, are, are very close. They're both at about 67,000 uh, tickets distributed. So uh, they announced some unbelievable number. Uh, here it is. Whoops. Here it is. 80,497. That's what they announced on television. Uh, the Miz did. But it's, it's about 67,000 tickets out. That probably doesn't include suites. Um, it is much higher than last year. We're, they're going to end up with, you know, about 134,000 probably tickets distributed, which will be 4,000 higher than last year's 130,000. So this is a, a WrestleMania probably with more tickets sold than last year. We'll get an, uh, we'll be able to calculate this probably in early August when W reports their Q2 report. So just, just wait about four months and, and I'll, and I'll give you a pretty realistic number on what the paid attendance was. Um, but I think we're going to end up with, um, if I look at my estimation here, of what's the gate. This could be a $20 million gate over two nights here. Uh, if you figure, okay, I figure 130,000 tickets distributed as a percentage. What's the paid here? I, last year, it was about 88%. So I'm going to go about 88%. I did think about, well, it's LA. Maybe they comped more. Um, but most of those comps are probably happening in suites, which isn't part of this number above. So anyway... Average ticket price, 170. It could be higher. So, but we only got to go as high as 170. Remember, Royal Rumble was 160 dollars for average ticket last year. Uh, the numbers imply that it's about 159 for an average ticket. So, I think 170 is a pretty safe bet, and maybe higher. And that's all you really need based on those assumptions. This should this should say 88, not 85. You get to a 20 million dollar gate. Uh, will they announce that or not? Don't know. I mean, they did announce that for Royal Rumble with a press release following Royal Rumble this January. Uh, that they they will put out a number that includes ticket fees and and things like that. So not just the face value of the ticket, but this could be a twenty million dollar announcement on on Monday or something like that. Um, we'll see. But that that would be the biggest WrestleMania combined number ever. Of course, uh, WrestleMania twenty sixteen was seventeen point three million dollars all by itself, one event. And that that this is not going to come close to that. Um, just that, I mean that WrestleMania 17 number or that WrestleMania, would you say WrestleMania in 2017? 16, 16 in uh, this in Dallas, yeah, yeah. WrestleMania 2016. That number really is incredible when you think about how much more expensive tickets are now uh, than they were, you know, back yeah, in 2016. And, and this this is just a, a matter of you know that was a higher attendance. That was a legit eighty thousand or so paid, and. The subsequent WrestleManias after 2016, I believe they had higher ticket prices. It's just that they didn't have the, the, the same number of paid uh, ticket buyers. Now, right. these events that have two, they've lowered the prices to two because they have such – they've doubled the supply of tickets. So it's just simple economics there. In night one and night two, they're 
they're going to end up selling about the same number of tickets. They're they're basically sold out by the term that WWE would use. I, I think um, it's fair to call these events sold out. Yes, and I'd be interested in knowing, like, because I had heard reports, you know, that they can expand capacity for the seating. They can expand it to seventy five thousand seats per night. They could even send expand it to ninety thousand per night, based on the configuration of the stadium. Um, with, given the fact that they've basically sold out both nights. Uh, why not make it higher? Why are they limiting themselves to 66,000? Is it because they got to that 66,000 number maybe later in the process and they didn't, they don't have enough time to kind of reconfigure things, but why not open up new sections? Why not open up more sections for tomorrow night? If you, if you think you can sell more tickets, what are you losing in that? And I think that might be a stadium configuration issue. Um, I just, I don't know why they wouldn't put more tickets on sale when they only have what 88 tickets left. Yes, something very low. I, I feel like there's mechanics to changing the configuration that I don't understand that well to to, to have an opinion about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at the uh, the SmackDown and the Raw, SmackDown uh, was up to thirteen thousand, just over thirteen thousand, thirteen thousand ninety seven, which is up from about twelve thousand the prior year. WrestleTix does have suites on the map because this is an access map, but decided to, to remove them to be fair, uh, to, to be consistent in all the other measurements. So this is genuinely above last year's SmackDown slash Hall of Fame event. And Raw also at Crypto.com Arena, how long will that name last, uh, is well above last year's Raw After Mania, currently at 13,232 as of most recent count. Last year was you know 3,000 lower, just over 10,000. And the key, I think, is both Raw and SmackDown this year are effectively sold out, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and so that makes a big difference. Maps in the middle of the week, yeah. Yeah. So the ticket demand for those shows might even be higher, and we can look at the secondary ticket market prices to see. But um, So that, th- that those numbers could conceivably be higher, and the demand for them could be even hotter than, than, than we know because of the Raw and SmackDown uh the tickets being sold out. It, you know, it's interesting that last year's Raw didn't sell out. Um, and But, you know, it all this all vibes with the trends that we've seen in the first quarter of 2023 when it comes to WWE ticket sales. They sell a lot more tickets than they did last year. It doesn't matter if it's pay-per-views. doesn't matter if it's house shows. doesn't matter if it is Raw and SmackDown tapings. So um, if I go to StubHub, get-in prices for, for Raw on Monday is $67. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is high, which is on the higher side than the normal. Rough I think I looked at this in the middle of the week and it was at about fifty. Yeah, so it's a little bit higher, which tells you that it's not. I guess that it's not an over, you know, bought show, and it's not as if scalpers came in and bought too many tickets. No, no, it's a it, that it, that's a I'd say that that sixty seven get in price is higher than almost all wrestling shows for like pay per views yeah. and stuff like that that sell out quickly. Um, that's not that high, but for a raw, it's, it's got. That's probably one of the highest get-in prices for raw all year, if not the highest. Yeah, uh, stand deliver was way over last year. Did only four thousand three hundred sixty-six last year. This year, doing seven thousand eight hundred and forty-four. So just over four thousand last year, almost eight thousand this year. You know, close to doubling. Um, and Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor. We'll have a rare non WWE conversation here, I suppose. Uh, did well above where it did last year. Last year was at about two thousand for Supercard of Honor. This year, four thousand four hundred and seventy-two. Again, all these did you know, are Russell Brandon, that they that Supercard of Honor show broke Ring of Honor's Southern California gate record. I think I, I 
I did not w- listen to the the post press conference. Did you? I, I heard that Tony had said. Well, they that. said it. I think they said it on the Ian Rakabani said it on the show. He's like, I'm getting a message from Tony Khan telling us that this show has beat the uh, the Ring of Honor gate record for Southern California, and I the um. Uh, I think I think the the guys in the flagship wrestling podcast um, said that there had only been two other shows in Ring of Honor's history in Southern California, and they were at like uh, like the airport Hilton in in L.A. and they maybe drew like three hundred people. So <laughs> I don't think it's very impressive that they built them. They beat the record, but they, they blew it away. They, they shattered they, the record. Well, I think Joe said that they 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 beat the record on when they sold out the front row for the show compared to the twenty dollar a night. $20 a ticket general admission that they were probably charging back uh, in the previous regime. But I mean, health, right? Healthy numbers for the business across the board, right? You know, NXT doing, you know, 40% or so more than they did last year. Um, obviously, WWE shows being up in, in Ring of Honor doing, you know, more than twice what they drew last year. So, uh, you know, healthier wrestling environment, healthier. I, I would be interested in seeing some of these other, I mean, I don't know if like, um, Lavi Magalin is 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 keeping track of these, but like comparing some of the indie shows from from the past weekend to, to what they did last year, see if those were up because that's also kind of a barometer of the health of the overall wrestling industry, not just WWE. Um, yeah. And LA is, you know, no, LA is a is a better city to go to for WrestleMania than Arlington, Texas, which is difficult to get to from Dallas, and you know, LA has a lot more. Is a better probably. I've never been to either city, so I can't give any personal opinion. But I imagine it is a better, more tourist-friendly city in a lot of ways um, than Arlington, Texas. So maybe you know that that might play a role in the sense that it's it's funner to travel to LA and it's, it's just more to do in LA outside of wrestling. But um, yeah. now they did announce their eighty-seven thousand number, and that is twenty percent higher than WrestleTix. And their numbers that they announced last year were also about 20, 20% higher than the WrestleTix tickets distributed. Um, comparing it to paid attendance is a different question, which is something that I can I can show going back to 2018 based on the, the KPI averages that they put out with and without WrestleMania. And last year was 30% higher. And I did, did do some thinking about this, Jesse, you raised last time. Is that because there were two events? It, it's it's a percentage. So, it's, so I'm not saying it's X tickets higher, but it's it's – a percentage higher. They went 30% higher than the apparent paid uh, last year. So who, who knows what they will do. Uh, if it's 20%, if it's, if both of these years are 20% higher than the WrestleTix number, I think both of these years are going to be about 30% higher than the paid. We'll see in August uh, what, what the, the actual difference so is. So last night they announced that the show was sold out. It was completely sold out. We sold out SoFi Stadium. Tonight, do you think they will announce a larger audience than last night? They'll announce about the same number. I mean, it'll be a about number. the same. Yeah. You think it'll be a little bit bigger? It'll be just randomly. I don't know. I don't. I can't remember if they did bigger. Or, I imagine they'll do bigger, slightly bigger by like a couple hundred or something like that. Right. So does that mean that last this night show was not actually sold out? If more people were somehow at this show, it was completely sold out to, on night one. How, how could they we possibly get, pack We have to get into the, into the semantics about what do, you, what do they think people think they mean when they say attendance? Mm-hmm. I think the average person, when they hear the word attendance, they think people, spectators, spectators 
in the seats, not not people who are working the show, not not staff and talent and concessions and security. What about people in the parking and, and, and the people who aren't the empty capacity of some suites that aren't being used? As, yeah, I was going to say, what about suites that don't have what about suites that don't have people in them? Do those count? Anyone with a I mean, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing if you if we can like you did for Dallas, we can find out what kind of meticulous detail went into to fig- come up with this, you know, 80,000 number. That is, it seems kind of random. It's it's not record breaking for really anything. It's not, you know, the biggest WWE. All of that show. say that this was the highest attendance in SoFi Stadium history. He was referencing the eighty thousand number, though apparently. So who knows? I don't think that's the highest attendance in SoFi in SoFi Stadium history. I thought they had events that did like over a hundred thousand because it can expand up to a hundred thousand people or something like that. So I would imagine there's a bigger one, but who knows? This who is knows what he what said last end. night. Uh, he will, he said he would have more business information uh, tonight. Well, so. I'm sure I'm sure people will question him on that if if it. Uh, Did you watch the press conference? I, I I didn't at a recap of it and thought that was a good use of my time to not watch it. He took five questions. Um, I I didn't think I thought most of the questions were okay, but like nobody asked him. Um, we we saw reports that Vince McMahon was at in in. Uh, gorilla what what did he contribute to, to this wrestlemania creatively and what's he what's he been involved in uh we see that he's a an employee again um which brings us to our next he time. was he was what well he a pw insider reported that he was he had his own office the office was near gorilla that he had a headset on that he was giving instructions so i mean he's with, with Vince is back. Like he's back in charge. He's doing creative things. Now is Triple H got final say? Is Triple H doing the day to day build of everything? That's that could very well still be true. But Vince is back in a creative capacity within the company, and I imagine he's going to be at most, if not all, you know, Raw and SmackDown tapings and pay per views going forward. Well, no wonder the show was so good then. Um, the stock. Well, prices. we'll just pick the stuff that was good. It was what Triple H did, and the stuff that was bad. That was what Vince did. I'm sure that's what happened. That's the case. So the stock price is up to ninety one dollars, which is higher than it's been lately. Uh, it's, it's among the highest prices in the history of this stock. Really, um, there was a, 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 a really wild period back in 2018 where it got above a hundred dollars briefly. But this is a, a very high stock price in the history of W stock price. $91 per share. What does that mean? It means the market value of all shares is roughly $6.8 billion. $6.8 billion as of the close of the market on Friday. And uh, this is going into a WrestleMania where I imagine there's going to be a lot of people from various companies, including perhaps Endeavor, Perhaps I, I, I saw Lightshed is talking about Amazon being a dark horse to be a buyer for WWE. Who knows if people representing the Saudi government, the public investment fund may have been present um, and may be present tonight. Who knows? Um, TV renewals are coming up with uh, the exclusive windows beginning this weekend for NBC Universal's Raw, for Fox's SmackDown. Uh, perhaps. The Murdochs are present. Perhaps uh, people representing Comcast or NBC Universal are present. Um, but in interesting filings, uh, I was perplexed by these late night filings that hit my inbox on, I believe it was Thursday night. Uh, saw a filing for Nikon. Not not this one was not surprising. Uh, Sixty four thousand eight hundred and seventy seven shares 
that I believe that's a, a five million dollar market value stock award disclosed by WB for uh, for WCEO Nick Khan. Uh, he's got an employment agreement that is is a public exhibit, and he has huge stock awards that are associated with that. So I wasn't that surprised to see this. Uh, but then another filing came out for one Vincent K. McMahon, who is the executive chairman. We know he's the chairman of the board of directors for WWE now, has been since since early January once again. But a, and, and it is very normal for members of the board of directors to get. Um, stock awards and, and and the logic is that you want your members of the board directors to have some shares so that their interests are aligned and that's part of their compensation this is a very big stock award that he got i believe the, the market value is 7.4 million dollars in shares here of course vince already has uh 37 or so of all shares uh but here's some more shares fifty-two thousand nine hundred and two of them about a 4.7 million dollar market value um now, I didn't notice this at the time, but I've noticed after the fact that this stuff, this we're going to make forms, SEC forms exciting today. Look at this, a revelation. If you look in, look in box number five and it says it, there's an X next to director, as we would expect. He's a member of the board of directors. He's a director. But also there's an X next to officer. What does that mean? That means he's an officer of the company. Well, in the morning about 8 o'clock, yet another filing comes out. W files with the Securities and Exchanges Commission. We've got a disclosure here, current report. There's a new, not only is, is Nick Khan getting a raise, he's getting more salary, he's getting more stock awards, he's getting a better bonus, but also Vince McMahon has an employment agreement. So Vince McMahon is once again, not just a member of the board of directors, he is also an executive. Curious, is, does, does Nick uh, report to Vince again? Don't know. I would assume so. Uh, is it, yes, Nick Khan is still entitled the chief executive officer of WWE. Who is really the lead chief executive here? Is it the executive chairman, Vince McMahon, or is it the chief executive officer of, of, of WWE? I mean, the, the last several months have taught us that ultimately there's one, one person who holds the most power, and that is Vince. In, in, as part of his very busy media tour this week nick khan even said someone mentioned to him i forget what it was on but someone said something like well nick you know you're in charge of wwe and nick like corrected him and said there's only one person who's in charge of wwe and that's vince mcmahon so i mean like i said vince is back um whether or not and, and it's possible that vince actually identifies the success that triple h has had from a business perspective through his creative end and that Triple H will remain as kind of the head lead creative guy in the backgrounds as Vince, even as Vince returns to work and is backstage and he's giving out instructions and he's an official employee. Now it's possible that doesn't necessarily change, but Vince is back. And this, this whole last, you know, probably like last few months have been him slowly working him himself back into power uh, and, and, and easing himself back into the public consciousness of the company. And look, we talked about the success of WrestleMania from a business perspective. Talk about the advertising success that they've had at WrestleMania, the sponsorship success that they've had with WrestleMania. The stock price is up very high. Clearly, Vince McMahon's presence within the company is not a ma- does not appear to be a major deterrent for television partners, for ad revenue, for sponsorship revenue. So it's the, the, the things that would actually keep him from coming back into power don't seem to really exist. 
And one business and, note that Paul Levesque did mention last night, $22 million in, in what he called activations, which I take to mean uh, ad, ad sales related to WrestleMania. And, and that was for, very obvious if you watched the show. This was easily the most commercialized WrestleMania and, I've ever seen. <clears throat> Just to put that in context, we had a an article – uh, quoting Craig Stimmel, who's the senior vice president for WWE, saying that that they were at $20 million at the time of his quote, and that is doubling what last year's WrestleMania did. Mm-hmm. And so it did not just a lot of money. That's a, that's a doubling. And it kind of felt like a – and obviously we know yeah. that the belief was when Stephanie was in charge of certain operations in the company that sponsorship dollars was a weakness, and they felt like that that division had underachieved. Um, she's obviously no longer in the company. And so is I mean, there we're, someone we're basing that on, on the, the business insider article from last year, June, just after her temporary mm-hmm. leave of absence that happened in May. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so is there, is that, is that, does that back up that claim in the sense that she's not in the company and sponsorship dollars went up and like you watched it, it felt very similar to almost like a Super Bowl in the sense of how heavily commercialized it was. I think I think it hurts the pacing of the show a lot, but you know we have advertisements in the middle of WrestleMania, something that didn't exist a few years ago, and has now kind of become normal and accepted in the sense that okay, we're going to have ninety seconds of ads in between matches, which again never happened before. We have sponsorship for matches, the cinnamon toast crunch match. Um, I, I the, the emojis one, were out there. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, so on one hand, I would not have had the Cinnamon Toast Crunch match sponsor the blood feud between the father and son. That's supposed to be very serious. Um, those seem, there's a, there are other matches like such as the, uh, the eight man tag match, the four way tag match that are like more fun matches that aren't really trying to tell a serious story that maybe make more sense for the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. But those aren't as high profile matches. I guess that's a harder sell. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, is, 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 is Dominic versus Ray now that in like in the terms of wrestling, it's a higher profile match, but it's not like it's the main event. They're both mid card matches. Mm-hmm. I don't know if sponsors really care that much about it. Maybe Ray Mysterio is a is a figure that can sell sponsorships in a way. I will say this: it is very lucha libre to have a big dramatic match, have corporate mascots and advertisements going on in the background. That that is exactly what you would see if this match was taking place in. AAA or in CMLL would be to have like an ad, a mascot for like a car battery to be ringside. In this case, it was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So there was no Corona uh, on the canvas, though. Yeah, inadvertently, this this was this was actually a very uh, realist, uh, very uh, traditional, realistic depiction of of a Mexican wrestling blood feud. I did um, think at the end of the main event, when suddenly an Intuit Tur- TurboTax logo appeared on the screen, I thought they were cutting weight. I was like, "You're cutting weight to commercial now," but that was just like their. Their stinger going into hey, the replay. <laughs> Intuit was the sponsor of the main event, and we—I don't know the financial details of this, but that is the kind of sponsor that historically WWE has been unable to get, and pro wrestling has been unable to I, get. I, they've had TurboTax for a number of years, I believe. Have they? Yeah, I think so. I felt like this was a big deal that they were the official sponsor of the main event. I think it's a—it's a different type it's, of sponsor. Maybe it's a different kind of sponsorship, but I've, I've definitely seen TurboTax. Okay, with WWE on, because on usually when you see. Easy. It's it's Pizza Hut. It's Doritos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they've, they've done know, Victoria lot. beer with 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 Ray before, right? It's kind of like it's it's these kind of it's kind of like it's you know I don't want to say like like um, lower income targeted commercials because um, forget wireless having a financial 
company be a sponsor is, is kind of like, I think a prominent deal. Um, just to, to review the, the sequence of events last year, June, the stories from the wall street journal started to break. Vince stepped down on an interim basis. And then on July 22nd, he retired for real. He, re- he resigned from WWE as both chairman and CEO. Didn't, didn't, uh, he did, uh, he did surrender like a small number of his A-class shares that were part of his stock wars, but he, but meaningfully nothing changed in his ownership. <clears throat> and we, and we thought Vince was gone for, for five months there. There's that, that, that period of think, thinking that Vince would never come back to the company. And then on January 6th, yes, 2023, he came back to the board. We got those press releases. He brought George uh, Barrios and Michelle Wilson with him back to the board. He removed a number of members of the board. Some others resigned. Stephanie resigned. They unanimously put him back on the board as chairman. And then this March, March 6th, he was in Boston. Cannot confirm whether or not he had a meeting with Jesse Collings at that time, but he was reportedly. Whoa, whoa, Brandon. Whoa. What, he was what, reportedly what went on? at Raw. What went on at the Copley Square Weston Hotel does not need to be discussed here. <clears throat> but he was there at at Raw to support his his his, uh, his friend John Cena. Uh, maybe, maybe he was in Gorilla, maybe without a headset. In any event, uh, then uh, on March 29th, that is Thursday, right? That's when his uh, his employment agreement uh, was was agreed to. Um, and it, it is retroactive, by the way. It is going all the way back to the beginning of his return to the company. So he's going to get back pay is how I take it. He's going to get back pay he, for this time. He needs that. That's something that will really make or break him. Vince McMahon, um, in terms of his income too, by the way, he has something like twenty eight, almost 28 million shares. WB pays a dividend, as some public, publicly traded companies do. If you hold their shares, you get – in WB's case, you get $0.12 cents per share that you hold. So you do the math. Vince is still – and still has gotten – even in the time where he was more removed, he's still getting $3.4 million per quarter every three months because of his dividends. But anyway, what you're going to say, I was just going to say, well, he did, we paid back what the company $17.5 million. That's true. Recently. That's so, true. Um, he had, he, he paid for the investigation that was disclosed, I believe last week, or we talked about that, I believe on, on Thursday with MJ from NJ for subscribers. He did pay $17.4 million toward the cost of W's investigation into sexual misconduct allegations against him and against John Laurinaitis. Um, and, and we've kind of seen a shift to like, as far as, especially when, if you like wanted to like examine like Nick Khan interviews from Vince's just, you know, stepping down to now, like, if when someone ever asks him a question about what you know what what's Vince doing, it, he's kind of gradually increased what he will tell us what Vince is doing as far as what is Vince actually doing. Um, you know when he first came back, it was he's not involved in any capacity in creative. He's just here to facilitate a sale. He's not in the office. Nothing's happening. And now it's slowly gearing back towards. Well, he's got some influence. Like I'm sure you know Triple H talks to him, but Paul Levesque is still firmly in charge. And now, I think in this most recent week, Nick was saying a lot of you know. Well, you know, Vince has a role to play and he, he's got great advice for everyone. And and so we're seeing him kind of – the mask is slipping off in the sense of – and perhaps it's reality. Vince is moving more, more and more back into control of the company from that yes. end. But we're getting the a lot wrestling more. Wrestling Noah's Twitter account broke the, broke the news that, yes, Vince was at the Hall of Fame. Here he is posing with the great Muda and Paul Levesque. Yes, he does have a mustache. 
I believe he has dyed his hair as well. And, and that's that's the mustache is clearly the biggest story here. Nothing else should be relevant. We should be making I, I jokes meant to about lead the with that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there's that. Um, interesting part of his employment agreement is that he there there's a, a section carved out here that the you know titled McMahon Intellectual Property and Life Story. The company acknowledges that McMahon owns a McMahon's legal name, Vincent K. McMahon, and variants thereof, including Mr. McMahon. Mr. McMahon's likeness, image, voice, goddamn, good thing he owns his own voice, and other distinguishing characteristics. McMahon's personal experience, biography, life story, and all other rights of publicity and persona to McMahon. He, he, so basically, he, he can, what I take this to mean is that if he separates from the company, he can go off and independently have a business project that produces a book, documentaries, and, and things like that, that are, that are you know, he, his full intellectual property. He owns this, is how I, I read this. I'm not a lawyer, obviously. Um, and interesting, too, he's, I want to read this part. McMahon acknowledges and agrees that the company shall own in perpetuity all works, including without limitation of the footage. So he, he, he still owns the footage of him. Uh, and that the company shall have perpetuity rights in such works, irrespective of inclusion. But, but basically, I, I take this to mean, you know, again, he can go and, and create Vince documentaries and Vince books, biographies, or whatever he wants here, um, which is very different than the the way that that talent has had their intellectual property treated. Uh, well, haven't we? There, there, I suppose is, is a contentious way to put it. But haven't well, so the Vince McMahon. Now, I believe the Vince McMahon biopic movie has been canceled right didn't that come out pandemonium think, didn't we get a report about that recently that that that's kind of been killed and i believe the the documentary on netflix i believe it's still currently being made but yes I've bill heard, simmons thing is still still happening i understand yes and there's some i think there's some contention in what is actually going to be in that documentary between what ww wants to be in that documentary and what bill simmons team wants to be in that documentary um but perhaps, you know, that, you know, we're talking about Vince now as a media, like the story and life and image of Vince as a perhaps prominent media uh, figure in digital media outside of the wrestling bubble. If we're talking about documentaries and movies, that it maybe makes more sense for, in his mind, to have a lot more control over what's being made about him. And, and by the way, this, this um, news about the, the, the change in the employment agreement for, for Nick giving him a raise, the introduction of a, of a employment agreement for Vince. So Vince is going to get $1.2 million in base salary. Uh, he also gets uh, certain bonuses. Basically what happened here, at least from, from the annual base salary, is that Stephanie is no longer with the company, and they they basically split her would-be salary towards Nick and towards Vince. And notice this starts going back to January 9th, which is, if not the same day, very close to the same day that Stephanie stepped down so she is no longer the co-ceo so they've just sort of reallocated her compensation uh mostly i suppose mostly it's the salary is going to vince and and another chunk of that salary is going to nick um he, his base salary went from 1.35 million to 1.5 million so he got a what is that one hundred fifty thousand dollar increase in salary and the rest of it 1.2 went to went to vince she was going to get a, a 1.35 million dollar annual base salary uh, to begin with but anyway can i ask last night um when 
Pat McAfee came out and the Miz was like, I don't have the power to make a wrestling match. And Pat McAfee was like, there's 80,000 people here. One, someone's got to have the power to make a wrestling match. Did a little bit of you think that Vince McMahon was going to come out? Because I definitely I, I, thought that was I probably wasn't paying enough attention to, at that moment to, to have that thought go through my head. I think John Pollock had the same reaction. Yeah. I said, oh, man, he's, we're going to hear no chance and these people are going to go crazy. And it's going to be bad, like bad, bad for society that that would happen. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, by the way, there's a Patreon, patreon.com slash Russellomics, where you can get my almost daily TV ratings reports. We did a Russellomics Thursday 30, Russellomics 30 with MJ from NJ. We talked about all of the, the Nick Khan media tour. We've got a little bit more to talk about because a little bit more has happened since then. But you also get access to the viewership spreadsheet, the big spreadsheet with all the WWE and AEW and other wrestling companies, TV ratings data, and the slides to this podcast. Uh, there's also some exclusive reporting that happens there. And we had one. This past week, the uh, W backlash news that W is getting, when you total up, $1.8 million in government subsidies to bring backlash to Puerto Rico. Uh, a $1 million subsidy and an additional $300,000 value in kind that, that is related to the, the, the value of using the venue when they go to Puerto Rico uh, in early May for SmackDown and for uh, the pay-per-view backlash itself. And they very publicly plugged not just Backlash being in Puerto Rico, but the island of Puerto Rico itself during the WrestleMania show. Did I think they? Corey Graves and Michael Cole just said, oh, Puerto Rico's a lovely place. It's got great beaches. Like they were really like – it was very much like something like this is not like it's just a regular city that they're going the to. The tourism board is is contributing to this subsidy. Mm-hmm. So that and so sense. that probably played a role in like a, essentially a live read during WrestleMania for the tourism board. Yes. So you can read that. Uh, on the Patreon, you can also log into the WrestleNomics.com website and, and read that that way, too. All, all the paywalled stuff is integrated into the website. Um, and that is happening. Bad Bunny was, was on commentary. Bad Bunny will be hosting. And we can see the tourism board uh, logo here, the uh, the convention. I forget the name of the organization. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the the government entity that is that is helping pay for WWE to be there, uh, which is which is what is the name of that organization? The Puerto Rico Conventions District Authority. 
All right, now, are these public? Are, are any of these like public companies? And like, who, then if, if if they're public, who is subsidizing them? They're government organizations okay. in Puerto Rico. Um, the Puerto Rico Conventions District Authority, and I got a, a quote on the record from their executive director, Mariela Vianes, I want to say, um, and she said that yes, it's their the government is paying one point five million dollars in subsidy and three hundred thousand dollars in kind uh, to WWE to bring them. So the the people of Puerto Rico and in broader terms, the people of the United States are, are funding this WWE event, correct? Wherever WWE's or wherever Puerto Rico is getting their, their government revenue from they're Yeah. The government's paying for it. Yes. MJ. I don't know what what the taxes are like in Puerto Rico. MJ uh, has a super chat. He just brought, brought that up. Same thing. Yes. He says, is, is Puerto Rico, if Puerto Rico is paying for this event, is that U.S. Tax do- taxpayer dollars paying? Also, is this direct to consumer? Um, I would say that this is business to business, right? This is sort of a business partnership between just just as the, the on a much larger scale, the Saudi government relationship is a business to business partnership. Um, and, and I imagine that Bad Bunny is wrestling on this show. I would expect and so. It was and, teased and, and, during and WrestleMania. On, and based on the the press conference, uh, somebody did ask him and ask uh, Triple H in the press conference, "Is Bad Bunny going to be wrestling?" Uh, and he 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 gave like a a, a, a funny response and fu- funny reaction. And, you know, he, I think he just didn't want to spoil and make an announcement before they, you know, do the angle. Yeah, he, he said something like, if, "If he wants to wrestle, you know, we'll be more than happy to have him," or something like like that. And I think obviously watching the finish of the Dominic Mysterio versus Rey Mysterio match, it looks like they're probably going to have a multi man tag match between judgment day and then Ray and some, the, the LWO, the Latin world order, it's back. Right. But when it comes to, so W is doing these site fees and this is something that I think we're going, we have seen increasingly and we probably will continue to see increasingly in the future is that it's not just that they're going to go to various cities and sell tickets, but that they're, they're going to get, as I imagine they did for WrestleMania as I believe they probably did for Royal Rumble in San Antonio. Uh, they're getting governments to bid on them. That's not what happened here, I believe, at least according to to, uh, to, the, to the executive director, uh, Mariela Vianes, uh, who's the executive director of the Puerto Rico Conventions District Authority. She said she was not aware of any bidding process. Um, but when it comes to Clash of the Castle in Wales, there was some sort of government subsidy there, and Nikon talked about that in an earnings call. Um, and I'm still uh, waiting to get some additional information that I may or may not get from the city of San Antonio. Uh, they're, they've sent some of that information to be reviewed by the attorney general in Texas to see whether or not that information satisfies a certain exception in their public records law so that they don't have to release it because it involves, I believe how they phrase it as competitive bidding and they intend to bid on events for San Antonio in the future. So they're seeing if the attorney general will approve of, of an exception there so they don't have to release that to the public. Um, but that's what's happening here. And, that, and that, this is a very different thing than, say, any, any other wrestling company I think really deals with, certainly on the scale. Like we don't know of any AEW event, for example, that's getting a site fee just to go there. And WWE, I'm sure, will come out you know, in a, maybe in a month or two with another economic impact study and talk about how how many hundreds of millions of dollars this event helps generate for the local economy in LA. I believe that does AW is that show that they're running in Calgary is that not a bot show? I think the the, the house show 
um, if it was not a bought show, there's, there was some sort of arrangement uh, for the house show in Troy, Ohio, so that it probably made it a more financial, it made it probably a less risky financial move to run that house show in Troy, Ohio, because they were involved with with a with another company, something attractions. It's in the report that that may have acted as a middleman there to to absorb some of the cost. But I believe the Calgary show because it's not a dynamite or rampage right. taping, and it's it, also it during. Be. It's during like some. It's during stamp. I don't know if it's during Stampede Week, but it's during it like is. a. Uh, it's during a big event in the city, so it's that that choke. And we were, and I asked like, why is Calgary a house show when it's one of their biggest markets? They haven't run yet for a taping, and that may be one of the explanations why. Um, and you, you do see bot shows, big or small, and I think that's something WWE is going to expand upon. Something they've talked about, and it makes a lot of sense. The Cardiff show, for example. Last year, the Clash of the Castle show was very similar in the sense that they were given a, a incentive to go to Cardiff, and you know that show was hugely successful from a ticket perspective. It was well received critically. It serviced fans that hadn't had a show like that in a very long time, and it wouldn't surprise me if other places where WWE is strong, like other places in Europe that haven't had uh, uh, some of them haven't had a TV taping or pay per view ever, um, like if they were to go to Paris or something like that. Um, they would draw. They would get similar kind of incentives. Um, we've also seen it in Australia with the Super Showdown, and of course the Saudi Arabia shows are the Saudi Arabia shows are kind of their own thing. And I do wonder sometimes if the Saudi Arabia if the Saudi Arabia shows they have an exclusivity to the Middle Eastern market because I would assume if they're going to Saudi Arabia, why not go to Qatar? Why not go to the UAE? Why not go to Kuwait? Why not go to some of these other uh, Middle Eastern countries that have kind of similar things where they bring in live entertainment uh, as a tourism uh, opportunity. Yeah. I, I, I feel like Australia would be the next one uh, that they haven't been to since 2018, that maybe there's another event, maybe next year or something like that. Um, we have a prelim rating for SmackDown. SmackDown, according to the Fast Affiliate, uh, it looks like it did a pretty strong number, although I know there was a lot of storm coverage, especially in the Chicago area, so I don't know if that's going to affect this. But... Um, if the adjustment from prelim to final that we'll find out about tomorrow is the usual 5%, then this looks like it did about 2.5 million viewers, which would be the highest SmackDown rating in a number of weeks. I think we have to go back to probably middle January or so um, around the bill to, to the, the Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns uh, match to find a rating that's that high. So we'll see what the final reports on Monday. Um, we talked about the press conference. I think all I, I needed to. Um, I have been following the tweets. And just to, to get an idea of how much people are tweeting about WrestleMania, uh, the peak the peak minute for tweets was just before midnight last night. I believe that's right as the main event was concluding. And to just give you an idea of how, how much bigger that was than anything else this weekend, um, there were 5,845 tweets at 11.59 p.m. Eastern time with just containing the string, WrestleMania. And that's, you know, like five times bigger than the peak for Stand and Deliver. That's more than five times bigger for the peak of, of the Hall of Fame. That's way bigger than anything for SmackDown, which is all bigger than anything for the Ring of Honor show. And and least of all, the, the AW Rampage that was competing against Ring of Honor uh, and, and the Hall of Fame at the same time. So just, just to – I don't know what it means. These are tweets. Is this reflective of any other economic results? I don't know. But, uh, but interesting right. to see what's happening on Twitter. And it's interesting because we, we know how many people, at least you know, in the U.S., were watching SmackDown roughly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we could see like what that means for tweet. What does this mean that across the world, this many people were watching WrestleMania, you know, seven or eight times the amount of people that were watching SmackDown? Probably not, but it is interesting to note kind of uh, how big WrestleMania is and how big that WrestleMania name is and people tune in when they haven't watched a second of WWE all year, um, especially now that it's on Peacock and it's more available and more accessible than it's ever been before. So I think what I'm, I'm going to show this for a second, this is something different that I've, I've, I'm looking at for the first time, but if we look, this, this is, this looks kind of messed up, but so what I, what we're looking at over here, will, will you see my mouse? Yeah. So we're looking at here is this, these are tweets now by the hour and this dashed purple line is re- representing tweets containing WWE. So we see by the hour, WWE peaked during WrestleMania at 60,000 tweets in an hour containing WWE. To compare that to Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble was at about 50,000. Okay, and this is night one only uh, for, for, for WrestleMania. So as you would expect, WrestleMania is more than Royal Rumble, although not massively more at this point anyway. In terms of its hourly peak, again, what, is, what does this mean? I don't know, but it's you know, it's uh, maybe this is reflective of a viewership. Maybe we'll get an. I expect we will get a some sort of comment from Triple H about how this was probably the most watched WrestleMania ever, because now Peacock is in substantially more homes this year than it was last year, uh, and WWE Network is still streaming around the world, so it's probably going to be the most watched WrestleMania ever. Uh, we'll probably get that news, and maybe he'll say something about uh, live event business or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, by most accounts, it's it, it, we knew beforehand it was going to be the most watched WrestleMania ever in the sense of the just the, the sheer number of access people are going to have to it for Peacock, and a lot more people have Peacock than they have had in previous years. Okay, and uh, again, we covered a lot of Nick Khan's comments, his media tour various places he was on marshan and oran where by the way he said that pat mcafee would not be uh at wrestlemania but he was and he was also on stephen a smith's first take i have not seen that and he was also on colin coward i did listen to that but anyway so all his former clients in sports media he was he was hitting them up was he did he represent stephen a smith he did he did. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I heard that he did. I I, I should add that I can't 100% confirm that, but I saw and mentioned okay. that. Stevie but he definitely represented Colin Coward. Yes, um, we know that because he's appeared on that show a few times now. He didn't represent Andrew Marshan or, or John O'Ran. They're, no. they're sports journalists, uh, sports business journalists, but okay. And he, uh, I'll so, tell you, he definitely didn't represent Morgan Brennan. I can tell you that. So on CNBC, he was on... What is this? I don't know what the, this uh, C- first on CNBC, maybe. Anyway, he's on CNBC on Thursday afternoon or so, and uh, we're going to play two clips from this. Uh, Morgan Brennan of CNN, CNN CNBC, uh, asks him, does Vince want to be a part of any company sale? Is Vince McMahon part of any package or, or any deal? Vince made it clear to me uh, and to the marketplace that he does not need to be included in any offer or any deal moving forward. Uh, and he has held uh, to his word on that, as many of us predicted he would. Does not need to, but does he want to? I'm not sure. You know, that's more a question for Vince. Uh, since he's been back, it's been about three months or so in the executive chairman role. It's been quite supplemental to myself, to our head of creative, to all of our other executives, to have the expert of this business here. 
uh, when we want to reach out to him and have conversations. But I'm not sure exactly what he wants his future to hold. I mean, there's still so much focus on him and the industry and this company. Um, he's been slowly appearing at more events. There's reports circulating that he is going to be there uh, in L.A. for WrestleMania this weekend. Has he been getting more involved in the creative process? Uh, no, is the answer to that. But are you going to be there this weekend at WrestleMania? Or are you passing on this one? Uh, sadly, I will not be there. I'll be I'll be watching from from here in New York. So he's not sure. Nick is not sure if Vince wants to be part of a deal. I guess they just haven't talked about that. Although Vin, Nick did say that he visited Vince and stayed in touch with him during his sabbatical from the company, um, but not sure if he wants to yeah. be a part. Yeah, of everyone that. that's going to interview Nick Connor, another WWE executive, please, please take notes about what Morgan Brennan did. Because <laughs> in that six-minute interview she had, she asked way more interesting questions than almost any of these other Nick Khan media appearances that I've seen. Um, she, she was also one, one of the people on with him, I believe, back in January when, when he was on with David Faber on CNBC, and she was also asking some very pertinent questions on that one, too. Um, get more? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So um, something that I thought was interesting was um, she uh, she asked him, like, well, how many bidders do you have? And he declined, he declined answers. And he said, he, and, but and then I think Morgan asked, you, is there multiple bidders? And he said, I can't really say. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think I think it's it's probably only the safe legal thing to not get into detail mm-hmm. on that, because, you know, I, you I, know, I guess I why? Why would why if there are multiple builder, bidders, you could say there are multiple bidders legally. Um, I, think, I, I don't know. My, my my guess would be that if you end up saying saying, yeah, there's a lot of interest and there's multiple bidders here, you end up not making a deal. Um, and then there's there's more, 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 more teeth maybe to a class action lawsuit. Yeah, I mean. I could very I, much see him I, being I, advised to not not get into that. Right, I guess. But I, I was thinking that – I was wondering if that tells us anything about if there are multiple bidders or are there not. Um, it was kind of – you know, it seemed like – I'll tell you what. It seemed I think like – we should, we should – we'll discuss that for a second. When it comes to bidding, what's going to happen here, I believe, is that towards the end of April, there's going to be multiple bids. Yes. The, I, I believe lots of companies will make bids. Will, will they make bids that – Vince wants to take is another question. Um, just like, just like when I think when, when it comes to TV rights renewal, there may be lots of companies that make bids, but make companies, they'll, they'll make bids at like, okay, what, what, what is this really worth to us? And they'll, they'll make some bid that, that W is just not going to take that if for some reason, none of these other deals work out, well, they can go to that one, I guess. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of companies that are investigating the value of WWE and what they would be willing to bid. Um, and I believe there'll be a deadline for bids probably towards the end of this month. But as far as really serious bids, I don't know there's going to be more than the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Right. Because it, it, it seems so – it seemed like up – you know, a few weeks ago we've had this discussion, right? Especially post kind of area Emmanuel's comments about Endeavor not really being that interested in pursuing WWE. That we had kind of – Hammer down will probably make some sort of bid. What's it going to be? Right? Is it, will it be is a, it a truly competitive? Will it be a truly competitive bid? Yeah, Comcast um, may make some bid, whether or not it's even six and a half billion dollars. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so we seem to we kind of had deduced that they're the realistic buyers of WWE. Or seems like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and maybe no one else. 
And it does seem like this week, from a media perspective, there was a huge effort on WWE's end and a huge effort on Nick Khan's end to um, get out there and say that we have we have bidders. It's, we're very pleased with the process so far and that there are a lot of people who want to buy us. Um, and what kicked this off was Nick's appearance on, on CNBC with David Faber, uh, where David Faber – there was no Nikon appearance, I should say. It was David Faber reporting on the air that there's robust interest. That you know, as as we've we've heard, there's there's talk that private equity and the Saudis and Endeavor, Reverse Morris Trust, may be interested. Um, and we talked about this on Thursday with MJ from NJ. I don't I don't think that David Faber was really saying anything that was really new, other than reviewing things that that are similar to what we've reviewed a number of times. That okay, these these are the most sensible suitors here. And right. I didn't get he mentioned like he was truly reporting any new information. Right. He mentioned like I think he mentioned like Liberty One Media and um, some other parties and Liberty. Um, right. There were all those articles that came out and like here were eight possible people who might want to buy WWE. Maybe it's Amazon. Maybe it's Disney. major names in the sport, which sounded yeah. to me like Dwayne Johnson, which would That's be right what I heard, capital. Yeah. yeah. Um, that he said that as well. So um, I, he didn't really elaborate on like what he actually knows. So that's how I interpreted that was so is he is he that close to it? I don't know enough about like David Faber's like personality reporting on stuff or saying things. Like is he a guy that just says things for entertainment purposes because he's on TV? Is he someone that really is nuts and bolts and only reports the ab- absolute facts? I don't know, but I I kind of interpreted it like the way you said, which is that it's not really anything new, it's more of just examining there are logical partners out there for WWE if they wanted to pursue them. Okay. And then Morgan Brennan asked him about Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon, uh, who resigned as her father returned to the company earlier this year to help negotiate those rights in that sale. Why did she leave? You know, do keep in mind, Stephanie was on a leave of absence when we called her. uh, It was Vince and I who called her together to ask her to come back from that leave of absence to fill in at the time as the interim chairperson. She then became the co-CEO, as you just articulated and the chairperson of the board. She did phenomenal work across the board. Uh, And when Vince came back, I think she went back uh, to what she was thinking of doing on the leave of absence. She stepped down. She and I remain in touch. She seems to be in a great place. Is there any scenario in which, sale or no sale, she would return to WWE? It's a question for her. We'd certainly always love to have her as part of WWE, but the time would have to be right for her, and I'm not sure that she's there yet. So is she going to come back? Uh, it's probably not the right time yet. It's conspicuous that, that Stephanie left right before the news, well, right before, a month before the news broke about Vince. Stephanie left again. Uh, Stephanie, Stephanie came back to replace Vince, and then Stephanie left again when Vince came back. Right, and, and Nick presents this as, like, Stephanie basically filled in for Vince when he was gone and when he came back. Yeah. It was, okay. she didn't have to fill in anymore, and she was kind of, she kind of didn't want to, she didn't necessarily want to be there at all because she had already left the company, kind of, before Vince scandal broke. Um, and that's consistent so with her public statement when she resigned. Right. And, and he's using, so we, we can look at that timeline and say, Stephanie knew she wanted to get out. Then Vince resigned. And then she got brought back when Vince wasn't there. And then when Vince came back, she was immediately gone. We can look at that timeline and maybe be cynical about what that says about what Stephanie knew, and what Stephanie's relationship is with Vince. But Nick Khan and other people can certainly use that timeline and say that Stephanie, you know, already was kind of burnt out or, had, you know, didn't necessarily want to be with the company at the time. She had already stepped down. She helped us out in a pinch when Vince, you know, retired for a brief period of time. But then when Vince came back, she was she, she was 
fine with just saying, all right, I can go back to, you know, being away from the company. Now, the big difference here is that I believe she stepped down from a, her board position in yes. January, which I don't think she, she never did she, that. She, um, didn't, she stayed on the board during her right. temporary leave of absence in May. And so that would be um, the logical follow-up would, I would say. The difference is she's now no longer on the board at all. Why is that? Why is she no longer on the board after Vince came back? And why is she no longer on the board um, after, you know, a month before Vince came back, a report came out that the board unanimously agreed that Vince coming back would be a bad would be in the bad worst interest of the company, and all of a sudden you're, you're Vince came to, back to the letter in December that the board wrote to Vince that was disclosed right. in filings. Yes, right. And then all of a sudden, a month later, Vince was the board voted unanimously in favor of Vince coming back, and all the and it seemed like there was a lot of people on the board that were no longer there. Mm-hmm. There were. He removed some of them and and Ignacelud. And Manjit Singh resigned after he returned. So the, the board had a lot of turnover in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something that has not been, I think, really asked or addressed in any of these interviews. Yeah. Um, it would probably be paramount to to what I would ask, um, especially if Triple H, who's a member of the board, who appears in front of the press all the time. Um, I think that's all I have. I, I have a, a slide here for the Supercard of Honor. Did you listen to the, the Supercard of Honor uh, media call beforehand? Yes. Yeah. Uh, any interesting takeaways? I, I did ask Tony, um, what were some of the lessons that he's learned as a manager of talent here? Mm-hmm. Uh, CM Punk's having conflicts with, with people uh, somewhat in public here. Uh, what have you learned as a manager of talent? What are some of the biggest lessons? And uh, he, I, I did go back and look. He, re- he responded for eight and a half minutes, making comparisons to, to football coaches and 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 running a broadway show um pe- people can listen to it for themselves it's a long response <laughs> i think with tony the the optimal way to get information out of out of him is to ask as blunt questions as possible which can be difficult because if you want to ask a real nuanced question it usually has to involve more than just a few words but i think to help him stay on track and to help him get him as answer as directly as possible you almost have to ask him like a question in under six words or less. Like what? What, what would you ask Tony Khan in, in, in six words or less? I would just ask – I was like after the CM Punk incident, did you learn anything about help handling talent better? Mm-hmm. Like you have to be that blunt, which is not like a friendly way to ask a question. Um, and like I you understand why – people tell him what a great job he's doing. I understand why people don't ask questions like that because – it's not a friendly way to ask them, but I think, and I, and I think this isn't like necessarily because Tony is like um, dodging the question necessarily. I just think this is how we've had, I've listened to a lot of these pressers and I've attended them and this is how he answers questions. He likes, he gets downhill. You, you almost have, if you, to keep him on track, you cannot ask him like any question that involves that much open-ended discussion. You have to ask him as blunt as possible. And I mean, that's the most effective way to, to ask in, 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 almost all press interviews with people. I mean, I just praised, you know, Morgan Brennan. That's exactly, she didn't ask Nick any like long winded, complicated questions. She just asked the, you know, in the quickest, bluntest way possible. And it was probably the most effective interview I've seen of Nick Khan uh, since I've been introduced to him. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that being a CNBC anchor gives you some security in that, like, first of all, she's an experienced television journalist who's, who's, you know, enough and successful enough to be on CNBC, but that you're on CNBC and it's a value for WWE to have access to CNBC. And it's, and it's not, not that big of a deal the other way around. Right. Mm-hmm. 
so that there's not this 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 fear about like, well, if I ask a, a question that's perceived as being too mean, maybe maybe they'll they'll you know exclude me in the future. Right. There's if we're going to compare Morgan Brennan to like someone who runs a wrestling or writes for a wrestling news site or owns their own wrestling podcast or something like that, access to WWE talent is much more beneficial to the small fish than it is to WWE, as opposed to in this scenario, WWE is kind of the small fish that's desperately craving mainstream media attention. Um, and Nick Khan is agreeing to this interview on CNNBC. I don't think he's coming on WrestleNomics to do an interview. Um, and so, yeah, there is security that not if you keep being that. mean to Vince McMahon. I know I'm going to cost this the Vince interview. Yeah. Right. Well, that's all I have. Do you have any, any, any topics you want to bring up here? We're, on we're that related note, I was, hour. I just, I, I mean, I was disappointed with the amount of like wrestling media people that were on WWE programming this week, specifically on the pre-show. And, um, you know, I think that people that are working in wrestling media, who's on the pre-show, um, who was on the pre-show? I know David Shoemaker was on the pre-show. I mean, Peter Rosenberg is on the pre-show, but he's on almost every pre-show. Um, Denise Salcedo, I don't know if she was actually on the pre-show itself. She was on some form of WWE programming. Um, Mark Ro- Romandi, is that how you say his last name? Mm-hmm. I don't, again, I don't know if he's on the pre-show, but he was in like some sort of pre-taped thing with Dominic and Rey Mysterio as like a moderator. Um, and so I think that... Um, all of these people have roles to play in how we cover and discuss WWE and play a role in the transparency of wrestling and the accountability of wrestling. And uh, it's it disappointing to see so many people like be eager to be on the show. And for if we if I wonder about like you know how can Vince Vince unlike in any other industry right if this if, if what Adam Silver did was if Adam Silver did something like Vince did and had all these NDAs and um, Adam allegations, Silver is the commissioner of the NBA. Correct. If he, Adam Silver did, you know, had NDAs for sexual misconduct allegations and had all of these allegations that Vince had, um, he would be like, just, it would be such a massive news story and he would just, his public image would be completely destroyed. And he certainly wouldn't be able to be the commissioner of the NBA anymore. Um, but Vince is able to do all of these things. And, you know, as we've discussed earlier, you know, he is coming back into power and it doesn't seem to really impact anything in WWE in a negative way. And fans don't seem to have a problem with it. And advertisers don't seem to have a problem with it. And now he's back in control of the company, unrepentant, unapologetic, hasn't been punished at all except for a six month fake retirement. And I wonder how, how has he been, how, how come Vince can get away with this and other public figures who are in similar positions and other large scale entertainment entities like the NBA, how could they never get away with it? And a lot of it comes down to the media doesn't take it that seriously. And part, and so when I'm watching these pre-shows and I'm seeing this, I'm thinking so many of these people would rather quickly, um, you know, stop what they're doing to be on the show. They put down the pen to, 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 to jump on to be a member of the WWE universe and to be a member of the WWE media team and to have their face on a Peacock pre-show. And – because we have so many people that are motivated like that and someone like Mark Romandi, like he's, he's with ESPN, which is like, that is someone who, I believe. Yeah. And that is a WWE, you know, WWE would want to be on ESPN. That's someone that doesn't, ESPN doesn't need to have WWE just like CNNBC doesn't need to have WWE. Um, and yet all these people are willing to kind of compromise, uh, their perceived integrity and value when it comes to, um, 
being, you know, unbiased or objective analysts of WWE and the company and Vince uh, in order to just be on television. And one of the reasons I think that Vince is able to kind of get away with all this and they're and not just Vince, but so many other um you know, really negative behaviors that exist throughout the professional wrestling industry. The reason that people are able to kind of get away with that and the reason the pro wrestling industry is not held to the same ethical standards as other major entertainment industries starts with the media not covering it, not taking it seriously. Um, And I just, you know, it's, there's nothing I can really do about it. Um, This is the way that people have chosen to, to, to conduct themselves as professionals. And I was just disappointed. That's all I can say is that I was disappointed. You think it's, it's because, Partly because it's it's pro wrestling, and it's it's sort of, it, and it's and it's fake. The matches are are predetermined, and there's so many outlandish characters in it, and it doesn't fit neatly into sports or into into, into entertainment media coverage. And it's this got this silly vibe to it that that preempts some serious scrutiny for people. I'm not saying that's right. Right. And I just, I think, right. The idea is that it's pro wrestling and that it's fun. And yeah, pro wrestling is fun. And yeah, pro wrestling, covering pro wrestling is not the same as covering, you know, the war in Ukraine or COVID-19 or some really serious, you know, issues in our world. There are more important um, issues in the world. Calm down. <laughs> but right. If you're going to be doing this, I don't know. It just, it's, I'm totally at odds with the idea of like, if I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to do this with the utmost pride and integrity of how I approach these journalistic practices um, in the way I approach by journalism now, which is very seriously and, you know, at a, at a very professional level, I like to think so. And it just, it's, it's disappointing to me to see so many people just be like, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong. You know, David Shoemaker was on the press box, which is his own media press um, podcast on the ringer. It's with Brian Curtis and Brian Curtis, who's very, very good. Um, you know, was interviewing Shoemaker about what it's like to, to be in the wrestling media and how is that different than regular media? And Shoemaker told a story about like being at the press box. I don't know if it was at WrestleMania or maybe it was an AEW show, but it was in like a press box at a major event and like something happened and all of the, the reporters cheered and they clapped and they were, you know, chanting along like in the crowd. And there was like a, a steward inside the press box who's nor- normally, you know, seeing sports reporters. And they were like aghast at how, um, you know, emotionally into the, this, the wrestling event, all these reporters and media were, because that's not the way that sports media would conduct themselves in a press conference. There's very little interaction like that and how that's kind of like unique to pro wrestling media. And it absolutely is. Um, but I don't see that as a good thing. I think it allows in the press conference last time. I think it allows people, these, these people are in awe of WWE and they're in awe of Vince and they're in awe of the wrestlers and that's not a great way to cover pro wrestling. And it really compromises a lot of like the, the role that journalists have and access people have to the professional wrestling industry, which is to require to, to allow for a level of transparency and call for accountability when negative transgressions happen. And that just doesn't happen in pro wrestling. And maybe, maybe those with, people, yeah. maybe those people just have a lot of respect for, for powerful people like Vince McMahon. And maybe you just don't have enough respect for those kinds of people. And this is true. Maybe you just don't have enough respect for power, Jesse. Right. And this isn't, and this isn't that true. This isn't any different than any other industry in the sense that there are political reporters that act the same way. There are sports, there are sports media people that do act the same way when it comes to these things. 
But in those industries, there's plenty of other un, you know, balanced reporters that don't conduct themselves like that. And the people who do conduct themselves as kind of fanboys or fangirls or whatever, those people um, kind of stand out for that. But in pro wrestling, we have so few real serious media coverage. And it's very disappointing to see people like David Shoemaker, who's working at The Ringer, a major media source, and, and Mark Riamondi, who's working at ESPN, again, another major media source. Those people to enjoy being part of the show in, in a way that they probably wouldn't in a, if they were covering a real sport. But because they're covering fake pro wrestling, it's, it's deemed okay. And I think that's one of the reasons why fake pro wrestling uh, has as many ethical issues as it has compared to other major sports. We have some super chats. We have another one from MJ from MJ. I may be late to this, but how many main events of a pay-per-view have featured a tag match in WWE versus AEW since 2019? Have, have any AEW pay-per-views featured a tag match in the main event? In the main event? I'm trying to think. I can think of – I don't think so. I think – you know, AEW is very – That Young Bucks and, and Hangman and Kenny tag match was not that the main w- event, right? That wasn't the main event. AEW was pretty protective of the world title match being the main event. I think the one time it wasn't, they had the lights out match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley. At, uh, I think that was full gear mm-hmm. um, in 2019. I don't think they've main evented a show. I'm trying to think there was like the Lucha brothers versus young bucks matches. Like they had a cage match, I think at all out, but that wasn't the main event. So I don't think so. Wasn't WWE, that the main event for all out 2019? That's possible. Uh, all out 2019. I'm scrolling. The last match no, was Chris Jericho and Adam Page to determine the first champion. It was second from the top, the Lucha Brothers and Young Bucks ladder match. Was that a ladder match? I don't know. Anyway, it was second from the top. Yeah. Um, so, and WWE, I'm trying to think, but I Scored assume they... Scored Muerte is a ladder match. Okay. Yeah. WWE, I believe, has had tag team matches in the main event. I mean, the first Wrestle- WrestleMania main event was a tag match. Right. I'm trying to think since 2019. I, I, there was there was one where I think Roman was in a tag match against it – was, it was like Roman and the Usos versus somebody on like a B pay-per-view last year maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rock in the John Cena versus The Miz in R-Truth was famously the main event of Survivor Series. Um, the Shield matches I think were the main events of certain shows that they were on. I'm trying to think since 2019. There has to have been. Uh, you know, because they've done things like Hell in a Cell matches like – with um, at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-views and um, I'm trying to think though if the one in particular really stands out, but I'm sure that it's happened. I, I doubt it. I, I I would have to look through every. I mean, any you could you could one by you one. could look at any Survivor Series, right? If they were doing the you know war, is War Games a tag team match? I don't know. Uh, it's not really a tag team, match. but it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not a two-person team, right? The Survivor Series matches would be the same thing. Yeah. Um, we have another one from Bob the Builder, one of our, our childhood heroes. Off-business question. Do you think the way WWE booked Cody Rhodes for the past year can entice AEW wrestlers to join WWE when their contract is up? I think that definitely helps. It, it shows that, well, if at a minimum, you don't have to be afraid that we're going to bury you just because you're in AEW. We're not going to treat you like Dusty Rhodes. We might treat you like Cody Rhodes. Not that Dusty Rhodes was in AEW. He was in Crockett, and, and they put him in polka dots. Yes, I think I think it's a, a, a great selling point to AEW talent that um, not just in how obviously they've done handled Cody so well, but they promote him so hard as an individual star, which AEW the and it, it comes down to the way Tony Khan books and the way that they utilize their roster. Um, 
they just don't promote people like that. Like, like you could say they did that with CM Punk, and maybe they're doing a little bit with MJF, but WWE really hammers home the individual star aspect for their, you know, three or four chosen biggest stars. And so Cody can be on Raw, and he's doing something in all three hours of Raw. He's he has a match maybe in one, maybe he has a promo backstage promo beforehand, then he has something else. Like they present Cody as an individual gigantic star in a way that AEW doesn't present individual gigantic stars. It's just not the way they book. And so even beyond just, okay, yeah, they pushed Cody and they, you know, they're going to have him in the main event of WrestleMania, but more of just like how he feels like a big star. That's something that I think AEW could maybe learn from WWE if they wanted to elevate their individual talent would be to push a few of their individuals even harder than they do. Okay. And I think we have one more at the moment. Um, this is from Estilo Latino who says, Ariel Hawani set up a standard for reporters to compromise their credibility so they can leave, live their childhood dreams and get a paycheck. I guess he's referring to Ariel Hawani appearing on SmackDown, for instance. Several yeah, I don't, think, I don't think Ariel Hawani invented that. Who invented it? Um, I mean, it's, it's probably existed for It's probably existed as long as the press has existed, right? Yes. The it's not Alliance unique to wrestling, press. you're saying. It's not unique to wrestling. What I think is what makes it problematic in wrestling is that there's very few um, outlets that cover wrestling like really seriously and at a high level. So the, the the few that we do have kind of compromising themselves makes it more difficult for straight media coverage to exist. Yeah. And, and we should mention, I, I did go to Montreal and I asked a question to, to Paul Levesque about our ownership and I was not tackled. I was treated nicely. <laughs> yes. You, know. you, you went and you asked a question and, um, I assume you'd be invited back. Do you have a, do you, 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 no plans to go to, to Los Angeles this year? I, I did think about, it. I kind of regret not making plans earlier when like flights and hotels would have been cheaper. Um, mm-hmm. I plan on, I am probably going to go to Detroit for SummerSlam. Right. That's pretty, that's, that's like a reasonable distance from you, right? right I, I can drive there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a, especially if you cut through Canada, it's like a four hour drive. Yeah. Right. And I believe you'll be at Forbidden Door, right? Most likely. Yes. Yeah. You're wrestling Yuji Nagata on the pre-show, right? No, I am not working the show. Um, I, but that's in Toronto, and that'll be easy to drive there and, and drive back the same night if I can get media access because it's it's basically sold out. Yes. Um, NXT Stand and Deliver. Or not Stand and Deliver. What's their next NXT show? It's going to be in Lowell. I know that. Battle Battleground. Is it going to be Battleground? It's going to be in yes. Lowell on Memorial Day weekend, the same night as Double or Nothing. Yes, and I think it's an evening show too, right? Yep, it's going to be at 8 p.m. It's going to so run directly head-to-head. Head-to-head head to head with, with Double Which nothing. Shawn Michaels just said, you know, we, we we run on holidays, and holidays have been good to us, so it's it's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with an AEW show. So um, I'm probably going to go to Las Vegas, so I, I may be participating in, uh, in Double or Nothing press. We'll see. But I do have plans to go to Las Vegas. Never been to Las Vegas before. We'll see how that goes. Um, good luck. Yeah. That's it. Anything else to add? Any plugs? Uh, you know, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, uh, which, again, is can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts on. We, I did have Adam Berger on on Thursday. We talked. We gave a, a extended WWE WrestleMania preview, um, kind of just gave our I, – I called it a brutally honest WrestleMania preview. I just was trying to be as blunt as possible with my opinions on things. Uh, it's probably outdated by now. Uh, unless you want to watch, listen to us talk about night two, then you obviously still can. But I know that one would have a shorter uh, shelf life than, than than other episodes we've done. But you can find that show and listen. If you want to hear me talk more 
you can certainly listen to it uh, anywhere you find your podcasts. Okay. We will be back Thursday with a podcast for subscribers only. And then we'll be back as always on Sunday, each and every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern. I expect we'll be back with Chris Collow then. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.